Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. First half of Chapter 19, Delayed Gratification. Draco had a stern expression on his face, and his green-trimmed robes somehow looked far more formal, serious, and well-turned-out than the exact same robes worn by the two boys behind him. Talk, said Draco. Yeah, talk. You heard the boss. Talk. You two, on the other hand, shut up. The last session of classes on Friday was about to start, in that vast auditorium where all four houses learned defense or battle magic. The last session of classes on Friday. Harry was hoping that this class would be non-stressful, and that the brilliant Professor Quirrell would realize this was perhaps not the best time to single out Harry for anything. Harry had recovered a little, but... But just in case, it was probably best to get in a bit of stress relief first. Harry leaned back in his chair and bestowed a look of great solemnity upon Draco and his minions. You ask, what is our aim? Harry declaimed. I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terrors. Victory, however long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no... Talk about Snape, Draco hissed. What did you do? Harry wiped away the fake solemnity and gave Draco a more serious look. You saw it. Everyone saw it. I snapped my fingers. Harry, stop teasing me. So he'd been promoted to Harry now. Interesting. And in fact, Harry was fairly sure that he was meant to notice that and feel bad if he didn't respond somehow. Harry tapped his ears and gave a significant glance at the minions. They won't talk, said Draco. Draco, I'm going to be 100% honest here and say that yesterday I was not particularly impressed with Mr. Goyle's cunning. Mr. Goyle winced. Me neither. I explained to him that I ended up owing you a favor because of it. Mr. Goyle winced again. But there is a big difference between that sort of mistake and being indiscreet. That really is something they've been trained from childhood to understand. All right then, Harry said. He lowered his voice, even though the background noises had gone to blurs in Draco's presence. I deduced one of Severus's secrets and did a bit of blackmail. Draco's expression hardened. Good. Now tell me something you didn't tell in strict confidence to the idiots in Gryffindor, meaning that was the story you wanted to get all over the school. Harry grinned involuntarily, and he knew that Draco had caught it. What is Severus saying? That he hadn't realized how sensitive the feelings of young children were, even in Slytherin, even to me. Are you sure that you want to know something your head of house would rather you not know? Yes, Draco said without hesitation. Interesting. Then you really are going to send your minions away first, because I'm not sure I can believe everything you believe about them. Draco nodded. Okay. Mr. Crab and Mr. Goyle looked very unhappy. Boss, said Mr. Crab, you've given Mr. Potter no reason to trust you. Go. They left. In particular, Harry said, lowering his voice even further, I'm not entirely sure that they wouldn't just report what I said to Lucius. Father wouldn't do that, Draco said, looking genuinely aghast. They're mine. I'm sorry, Draco. I'm just not sure I can believe everything you believe about your father. 
Imagine it was your secret and me telling you my father wouldn't do that. Draco nodded slowly. You're right. I'm sorry, Harry. It was wrong of me to ask it of you. How did I get this promoted? Shouldn't he hate me now? Harry had the feeling he was looking at something exploitable. He just wished his brain wasn't so exhausted. Ordinarily, he would have loved to try his hand at some complicated plotting. Anyway, trade. I tell you a fact that isn't on the grapevine, and does not go on the grapevine, and in particular does not go to your father, and in return you tell me what you and Slytherin think about the whole business. Deal. Now, to make this as vague as possible, something that wouldn't hurt much even if it did get out. What I said was true. I did discover one of Severus's secrets, and I did do some blackmail. But Severus wasn't the only person involved. I knew it, Draco said exultantly. Harry's stomach sank. He had apparently said something very significant, and he did not know why. This was not a good sign. All right, Draco said. He was grinning widely now. So here's what the reaction was like in Slytherin. First, all the idiots were like, We hate Harry Potter. Let's go beat him up. Harry choked. What is wrong with the sorting hat? That's not Slytherin, it's Gryffindor. Not all children are prodigies, Draco said, though he was smiling in a sort of nasty conspiratorial way, as though to suggest that he privately agreed with Harry's opinion. And it took around 15 seconds for someone to explain to them why this might not be such a favor to Snape. So you're fine. Anyway, after that was the second wave of idiots. The ones who were saying, Looks like Harry Potter was just another do-gooder after all. And then, Harry said, smiling, even though he had no idea why that was stupid. And then the actual smart people started talking. It's obvious that you found a way to put a lot of pressure on Snape. And while that could be more than one thing... The obvious next thought is that it has something to do with Snape's unknown hold over Dumbledore. Am I right? No comment, Harry said. At least his brain was processing this part correctly. How Slytherin had wondered why Severus wasn't getting fired, and they'd concluded that Severus was blackmailing Dumbledore. Could that actually be true? But Dumbledore hadn't seemed to act like it. Draco went on talking. And the next thing the smart people pointed out was that if you could put enough pressure on Snape to make him leave half of Hogwarts alone, that meant you probably had enough power to get rid of him entirely if you wanted. What you did to him was a humiliation, just the same way he tried to humiliate you, but you left us our head of house. Harry made his smile wider. And then the really smart people, Draco said, his face now serious, went off and had a little discussion by themselves, and someone pointed out that it would be a very stupid thing to leave an enemy around like that. If you could break his hold over Dumbledore, the obvious thing would be to just do it. Dumbledore would kick Snape out of Hogwarts and maybe even have him killed, and he'd be very grateful to you, and you wouldn't have to worry about Snape sneaking into your dorm room at night with interesting potions. Harry's face was now neutral. He had not thought of that, and he really, really should have. And from this you concluded... Snape's hold was some secret of Dumbledore's, and you've got the secret. Draco was looking exultant. It can't be powerful enough to destroy Dumbledore entirely, or Snape would have used it by now. Snape refuses to use his hold for anything except staying king of Slytherin House in Hogwarts, and he doesn't always get what he wants even then, so it must have limits. But it's got to be really good. Father's been trying to get Snape to tell him for years. 
And now Lucius thinks maybe I can tell him. Did you already get an owl? I will tonight, Draco said and laughed. It will say... His voice took on a different, more formal cadence. My beloved son, I've already told you of Harry Potter's potential importance. As you have already realized, his importance has now become greater and more urgent. If you see any possible avenue of friendship or point of pressure with him, you must pursue it, and the full resources of Malfoy are at your disposal if needed. Gosh. Well, Harry said, not commenting on whether or not your whole complicated edifice of theory is true, let me just say that we are not quite such good friends as yet. I know, Draco said. Then his face turned very serious, and his voice grew quiet even within the blur. Harry, has it occurred to you that if you know something Dumbledore doesn't want known, Dumbledore might simply have you killed? And it would turn the boy who lived from a potential competing leader into a valuable martyr, too. No comment, Harry said yet again. He hadn't thought of that last part, either. Didn't seem to be Dumbledore-style, but... Harry, you've obviously got incredible talent, but you've got no training and no mentors, and you do stupid things sometimes. And you really need an advisor who knows how to do this, or you're going to get hurt. Draco's face was fierce. Ah, an advisor like Lucius? Like me! I'll promise to keep your secrets from father, from everyone. I'll just help you figure out whatever you want to do. Wow. Harry saw that Zombie Quirrell was staggering in through the doors. Class is about to start. I'll think about what you said. There's lots of times I do wish I had all your training. It's just I don't know how I can trust you so quickly. You shouldn't. It's too soon. See? I'll give you good advice even if it hurts me. But we should maybe hurry up and become closer friends. I'm open to that said Harry, who was already trying to figure out how to exploit it. Another bit of advice, Draco said hurriedly as Quirrell slouched towards his desk. Right now, everyone in Slytherin is wondering about you, so if you're courting us, which I think you are, you should do something that signals friendship with Slytherin. Soon, like today or tomorrow. Letting Severus go on awarding extra house points to Slytherin wasn't enough? No reason Harry couldn't take credit for it. Draco's eyes flickered with realization, then he said rapidly, it's not the same. Trust me, it's got to be something obvious. Push your mudblood rival Granger into a wall or something. Everyone in Slytherin will know what that means. That is not how it works in Ravenclaw, Draco. If you have to push someone into a wall, it means your brain is too weak to beat them the right way, and everyone in Ravenclaw knows that. The screen on Harry's desk flickered on, provoking a sudden wash of nostalgia for television and computers. Ahem said Professor Krull's voice, seeming to speak personally to Harry out of the screen. Please take your seats. And the children were all seated and staring at the repeater screens on their desks, or looking down directly at the great white marble stage where Professor Krull stood, leaning on his desk atop the small dais of darker marble. Today, said Professor Quirrell, I had planned to teach you your first defensive spell, a small shield that was the ancestor of today's Protego. But on second thought, I have changed today's lesson plan in light of recent events. Professor Quirrell's gaze searched the rows of seats. Harry winced from where he was sitting in the back row. He had a feeling he knew who was about to be called on. Draco, of the noble and most ancient house of Malfoy. Phew. Yes, Professor, said Draco. His voice was amplified, seeming to come from the repeater screen on Harry's desk, 
which showed Draco's face as he spoke. Then the screen shifted back to Professor Quirrell, who said, Is it your ambition to become the next Dark Lord? That's an odd question, Professor. I mean, who'd be dumb enough to admit it? A few students laughed, but not many. Indeed. So while there is no point in asking any of you, it would not surprise me in the slightest if there were a student or two in my classes who harbored ambitions of being the next Dark Lord. After all, I wanted to be the next Dark Lord when I was a young Slytherin. This time the laughter was much more widespread. Well, it is the House of the Ambitious, after all, Professor Quirrell said, smiling. I didn't realize until later that what I really enjoyed was battle magic, and that my true ambition was to become a great fighting wizard and someday teach at Hogwarts. In any case, when I was 13 years old, I read through the historical sections of the Hogwarts library, scrutinizing the lives and fates of past Dark Lords, and I made a list of all the mistakes that I would never make when I was a Dark Lord. Harry giggled before he could stop himself. Yes, Mr. Potter, very amusing. So, Mr. Potter, can you guess what was the very first item on that list? Great. Um, never use a complicated way of dealing with an enemy when you can just abracadabra them. The term, Mr. Potter, is Avada Kedavra. Professor Quirrell's voice sounded a bit sharp for some reason. And no, that was not on the list I made at age 13. Would you care to guess again? Uh, never brag to anyone about your evil master plan. Professor Quirrell laughed. Ah, now that was number two. My, Mr. Potter, have we been reading the same books? There was more laughter with an undertone of nervousness. Harry clenched his jaw tightly shut and said nothing. A denial would accomplish nothing. But no. The first item was, I will not go around provoking strong, vicious enemies. The history of the world would be very different if more in life Falconsbane or Hitler had grasped that elementary point. Now if, Mr. Potter, just if, by some chance, you harbor an ambition similar to the one I held as a young Slytherin, even so, I hope it is not your ambition to become a stupid Dark Lord. Professor Quirrell, Harry said, gritting his teeth. I am a Ravenclaw, and it is not my ambition to be stupid, period. I know that what I did today was dumb, but it wasn't dark. I was not the one who threw the first punch in that fight. You, Mr. Potter, are an idiot. But so was I at your age. Thus, I anticipated your answer and altered today's lesson plan accordingly. Mr. Gregory Goyle, if you would come forward, please. There was a surprised pause in the classroom. Harry hadn't been expecting that. Neither, from the looks of it, had Mr. Goyle, who looked rather uncertain and worried as he mounted the marble stage and approached the dais. Professor Quirrell straightened from where he was leaning on the desk. He looked suddenly stronger, and his hands formed fists, and he drew himself up into a clearly recognizable martial arts stance. Harry's eyes widened at the sight, and he realized why Mr. Goyle had been called up. Most wizards do not bother much with what a muggle would term martial arts. Is not a wand stronger than a fist? This attitude is stupid. Wands are held in fists. If you want to be a great fighting wizard, you must learn martial arts to a level which would impress even a muggle. I will now demonstrate a certain vitally important technique which I learned in a dojo, a muggle school of martial arts, of which I shall speak more shortly. For now... Professor Quirrell took several steps forward, still in stance, advancing on where Mr. Goyle stood. 
Mr. Goyle, I will ask you to attack me. Professor Quirrell, said Mr. Goyle, his voice now amplified as the professor's was. Can I ask what level? Sixth Dawn. You will not be hurt, and neither will I. And if you see an opening, please take it. Mr. Goyle nodded, looking much relieved. Note that Mr. Goyle was afraid to attack someone who did not know martial arts to an acceptable level, for fear that I, or he, would be hurt. Mr. Goyle's attitude is exactly correct, and he has earned three quarrel points for it. Now, fight. The young boy blurred forward, fists flying, and the professor blocked every blow, dancing backward. Quirrell kicked, and Goyle blocked and spun and tried to trip Quirrell with a sweeping leg, and Quirrell hopped over it, and it was all happening too fast for Harry to make sense of what was going on, and then Goyle was on his back with his legs pushing, and Quirrell was actually flying through the air, and then he hit the ground shoulder first and rolled. Stop, cried Professor Quirrell from the ground, sounding a little panicked. You win. Mr. Goyle pulled up so sharply he staggered, almost tripping and falling from the aborted momentum of his headlong charge toward Professor Quirrell. His face showed utter shock. Professor Quirrell arced his back and bounced to his feet using a peculiar springing motion that made no use of his hands. There was a silence in the classroom, a silence born of total confusion. Mr. Goyle, what vitally important technique did I demonstrate? How to fall correctly when someone throws you. It's one of the very first lessons you learn... That too, said Professor Quirrell. There was a pause. The vitally important technique which I demonstrated was how to lose. You may go, Mr. Goyle. Thank you. Mr. Goyle walked off the platform, looking rather bewildered. Harry felt the same way. Professor Quirrell walked back to his desk and resumed leaning on it. Sometimes we forget the most basic things, since it has been too long since we learned them. I realized I had done the same with my own lesson plan. You do not teach students to throw until you have taught them to fall. And I must not teach you to fight if you do not know how to lose. Professor Quirrell's face hardened, and Harry thought he saw a hint of pain, a touch of sorrow, in those eyes. I learned how to lose in a dojo in Asia, which, as any muggle knows, is where all the good martial artists live. This dojo taught a style which had a reputation among fighting wizards as adapting well to magical dueling. The master of that dojo, an old man by muggle standards, was that style's greatest living teacher. He had no idea that magic existed, of course. I applied to study there and was one of the few students accepted that year from among many contenders. There might have been a tiny bit of special influence involved. There was some laughter in the classroom. Harry didn't share it. That hadn't been right at all. In any case, during one of my first fights, after I had been beaten in a particularly humiliating fashion, I lost control and attacked my sparring partner. Yikes. Thankfully with my fists rather than my magic. The master, surprisingly, did not expel me on the spot. But he told me that there was a flaw in my temperament. He explained it to me and I knew he was right. And then he said that I would learn how to lose. Professor Quirrell's face was expressionless. Upon his strict orders, all of the students in the dojo lined up. One by one, they approached me. I was not to defend myself. I was only to beg for mercy. One by one, they slapped me, or punched me, or pushed me to the ground. Some of them spat on me. They called me awful names in their language. And to each one, I had to say, I lose, and similar such things, such as, I beg you to stop and I admit you're better than me. Harry was trying to imagine this and simply failing. 
There was no way something like that could have happened to the dignified Professor Quirrell. I was a prodigy of battle magic even then. With wandless magic alone, I could have killed everyone in that dojo. I did not do so. I learned to lose. To this day, I remember it as one of the most unpleasant hours of my life. And when I left that dojo eight months later, which was not nearly enough time, but was all I could afford to spend, the master told me that he hoped I understood why that had been necessary. And I told him that it was one of the most valuable lessons I had ever learned. Which was, and is, true. Professor Quirrell's face turned bitter. You are wondering where this marvelous dojo is, and whether you can study there. You cannot. For not long afterward, another would-be student came to that hidden place, to that remote mountain. He who must not be named. There was the sound of many breaths being drawn in simultaneously. Harry felt sick to his stomach. He knew what was coming. The Dark Lord came to that school openly, without disguise, glowing red eyes and all. The students tried to bar his way, and he simply apparated through. There was terror there, but discipline, and the master came forth. And the Dark Lord demanded, not asked, but demanded, to be taught. Professor Quirrell's face was very hard. Perhaps the master had read too many books telling the lie that a true martial artist could defeat even demons. For whatever reason, the master refused. The Dark Lord asked why he could not be a student. The master told him he had no patience, and that was when the Dark Lord ripped his tongue out. There was a collective gasp. You can guess what happened next. The students tried to rush the Dark Lord and fell over, stunned where they stood. And then... Professor Quirrell's voice faltered for a moment, then resumed. There is an unforgivable curse, the Cruciatus Curse, which produces unbearable pain. If the Cruciatus is extended for longer than a few minutes, it produces permanent insanity. One by one, the Dark Lord Crucio to the Master students into insanity, and then finished them off with the killing curse, while the Master was forced to watch. When all his students had died in this way, the Master followed. I learned this from the single surviving student whom the Dark Lord had left alive to tell the tale, and who had been a friend of mine. Professor Quirrell turned away, and when he turned back a moment later, he once again seemed calm and composed. Dark wizards cannot keep their tempers, Professor Quirrell said quietly. It is a nearly universal flaw of the species, and anyone who makes a habit of fighting them soon learns to rely on it. Understand that the Dark Lord did not win that day. His goal was to learn martial arts, and yet he left without a single lesson. The Dark Lord was foolish to wish that story retold. It did not show his strength, but rather an exploitable weakness. Professor Quirrell's gaze focused on a single child in the classroom. Harry Potter. Yes, Harry said, his voice hoarse. What precisely did you do wrong today, Mr. Potter? End first half of chapter 19. Thank you to the following people. Gregory Goyle, Anthony Westbrook. Vincent Crabb by Captain Hatchmo. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. 
The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Come back next week for the second half of Chapter 19, Delayed Gratification. <laughs> <laughs>